4,435. The American Revolution. 2,260. The War of 1812. 1,000. The Various Native American Wars. 13,233. The Mexican War. 498,332. The Civil War. 385. The Spanish-American War. 53,402. World War I. 405,399. World War II. 36,574. The Korean War. 58,220. The Vietnam War. 383. Desert Shield and Storm. 4,505. Iraq. 2,445. Afghanistan. 97. ISIS. These are not numbers, but best estimates of those of our brave men and women who died during war on our behalf and whose sacrifices we commemorate on Memorial Day. Welcome our fellow patriots to the Patriot Lessons American History and Civics Podcast, where we renew the spirit of America by learning about what makes America the greatest nation in world history, including our founding first principles, key documents and speeches, founding fathers and other great patriots, as well as flags and other key symbols of America. I am Oakland County Circuit Court Judge Michael Warren and co-founder of Patriot Week. This episode, we take a detour from our exploration of the Declaration of Independence and focus on Memorial Day. Memorial Day has a fascinating history, and we will learn more about its origins and why it's vitally important to commemorate the holiday right here and right now. We will return in just a minute. Welcome back, my fellow patriots. This episode is dedicated to those courageous patriots who have given their last full measure of devotion to America. By the way, if you need a Declaration of Independence or Constitution fix before our next episode, you can get them in very general terms by visiting patriotweek.org. In addition to all the other goodies that we have on the website, we recently posted a primer on the Declaration, the Federal Constitution, the Constitution of Patriot Week's home state, that's Michigan, and vital laws of Michigan. If you don't care about Michigan, and that's fine, about half of the primer applies to everyone. The primer is called You and the Law, and you can check it out at patriotweek.org under the Education tab. It's especially designed for high school graduates and college students, so if you have one of those, check it out and send it on. Now to Memorial Day. The idea of honoring those who have fallen in battle hardly started with America. For example, honoring the fallen through public ceremonies was common in Greece and Rome. In fact, one such tribute was one of the most famous speeches in the ancient world. It was given by a key, really the indispensable leader of Athens, Percules, in 431 BC. Percules was not only a leading general, but a political reformer who helped democratize Athens significantly. He gave a funeral oration at the end of the first year of the Peloponnesian War. That was a decades-long conflict between Sparta and Athens. As recorded by the ancient historian Thucydides, Percules' speech began with an overview of the magnificent achievements of Athens, including the creation of a political system that was more democratic than any other before it. In that context, Percules explained that the sacrifice of the soldiers of Athens was critical because, quote, our stake in the struggle is not the same as theirs who have no such blessings to lose, unquote. 
That is to say, the people of Athens risked losing their freedom if they lost the war. But Sparta had no such freedom at stake. Pericles continued by explaining that those who had fallen, regardless of their status in Athenian society, shared a bond of courage and sacrifice. Quote, but none of these allowed either wealth with its prospect of future enjoyment to unnerve his spirit, or poverty with his hope of a day of freedom and riches to tempt him to shrink from danger. No, holding that vengeance upon their enemies was more to be desired than any personal blessings, and reckoning this to be the most glorious of hazards, they joyfully determined to accept the risk, to make sure of their vengeance, and to let their wishes wait. And while committing to hope, the uncertainty of final success. In the business before them, they thought it fit to act boldly and to trust in themselves. Thus choosing to die resisting rather than to live submitting, they fled not only from dishonor, but met danger face to face. And after one brief moment, while at the summit of their fortune, escaped not from their fear, but gained their glory. So died these men as became Athenians." Unquote. Accordingly, it was only right and just to commemorate the fallen. But Pericles explained the purpose of this occasion was not just to give praise to the fallen, but to ensure that their sacrifices had not been wasted. It was for the survivors to ensure the future of Athens by continuing to fight with all they had to offer. Quote, you, their survivors, must determine to have as unfaltering a resolution in the field, you must realize the power of Athens till love of her fills your hearts. And then when all of her greatness shall break upon you, you must reflect that it was by courage, sense of duty, and a keen feeling of honor and action that men were enabled to win all this and that no personal failure in an enterprise could make them consent to deprive their country of their valor but they laid it all at her feet as the most glorious contribution they could offer. These take as your model, and when judging happiness to be the fruit of freedom and freedom of valor, never decline the dangers of war. And surely to a man of spirit, the degradation of cowardice must be immeasurably more grievous than the unfelt death which strikes him in the midst of his strength and patriotism. Unquote. Pericles' eloquence revealed the importance of honoring the dead, not only for their sacrifices, but for the living to carry on. The duty to preserve the country falls upon the survivors. Thousands of years later, this same spirit animated similar funeral orations. Perhaps the most famous speech in American history was just such an allocution. Abraham Lincoln traveled to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, not to give a little really tiny commentary, but to assist in a solemn dedication of a federal graveyard for the Union soldiers who had been killed in the Battle of Gettysburg. That battle was widely acknowledged as the turning point of the Civil War. The Battle of Gettysburg raged from July 1st to July 3rd in 1863. This monumental clash was one of the bloodiest battles of a very costly conflict. 23,000 Union soldiers were killed, wounded, or missing. The Confederacy suffered 28,000 killed, wounded, or missing. Before the battle, the Confederacy had been prowling deep in the North and was threatening to win the war through an aggressive offensive on Union territory. After the battle, 
the Confederate army was forced to retreat behind its own lines and basically fight a defensive war that was doomed to failure. Meanwhile, the dead at Gettysburg were hastily buried in haphazard graves. David Wells, a local attorney, resolved to create a national cemetery to provide the troops a fitting final resting place. To commemorate the dedication of the cemetery, they brought in Edward Everett, an enormously popular orator. You know, back then they didn't have TV, the internet, movies, iTunes, TikTok, recorded music, etc. Political and religious orations were considered great entertainment and were often day-long affairs, and Everett was one of the best. Think of him as like the Beatles or Michael Jackson or whoever your favorite pop star is today. He was the former president of Harvard, Secretary of State, and Senator. Almost as an afterthought, Wills invited Lincoln to make some remarks. On November 19, 1863, Lincoln patiently waited during Everett's soaring two-hour speech, which Everett had memorized. It is, too, a remarkable speech. When Everett finally finished, Lincoln humbly got up, pulled out his notes, and delivered a 272-word oration that the world would never forget. Quote, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Now we are engaged in a great civil war, testing whether that nation or any nation so conceived and so dedicated can long endure. We are met on a great battlefield of that war. We have come to dedicate a portion of that field as a final resting place for those who here gave their lives that that nation might live. It is altogether fitting and proper that we should do this. But in a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men, living and dead, who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. It is for us the living, rather, to be dedicated here to the unfinished work which they who fought here have thus so far so nobly advanced. It is rather for us to be here dedicated to the great task remaining before us, that from these honored dead we take increased devotion to that cause for which they gave the last full measure of devotion, that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation, under God, shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Unquote. I feel like I could just drop the mic and be done with the episode. But that is not fair. Memorial Day didn't even exist in 1863. We will return to Lincoln's speech more than once in this podcast series. But what is important here is that it is a brilliant, probably the most brilliant commemoration of war dead in human history. Lincoln touchingly acknowledged the sacrifices of the dead and also inspired the nation to ensure that those men should not have died in vain and to fight with every fiber to ensure the survival of a nation dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. This simple country lawyer helped transfigure a nation that had been born with a stain of hypocrisy, of slavery, and violation of the first principles of inalienable rights, the social compact, and equality, into one dedicated to protecting all men, into expanding the social compact to include all of us. 
More on that on future episodes. However, it was not until Lincoln had been assassinated and the Civil War ended that the idea of Memorial Day took hold. The literature on this first Memorial Day commemoration is quite interesting and conflicted. Many towns and cities, organizations and people have clamored to take credit with establishing the tradition that eventually morphed into Memorial Day. Many of the competing claims are strong and well-grounded. To me, this is pretty interesting. In contrast, Patriot Week, which runs from September 11th, the anniversary of the terrorist attacks, and ends on September 17th, the anniversary of the signing of the Constitution, has no such confusion. It was clearly started when my then 10-year-old daughter Leah pounded on a table at a Japanese steakhouse during lunch in Auburn Hills, Michigan, and demanded a new celebration for America. Leah did that because we were discussing the demise of the major civic holidays, such as Memorial Day. It was just the two of us, and we committed ourselves to some kind of new civic celebration on the spot. It was in 2009, either in January or in February. Brainstorming over several weeks got us to the idea of Patriot Week. I'm sure at some point we'll talk more about how this crazy idea took hold, but the point is that there isn't anybody in Idaho stating they created Patriot Week in 2005 or somebody from Florida claiming they invented it in 2012. Not so with Memorial Day. All kinds of people try to claim that they were the first. Actually, they all claim to have started Decoration Day, which is what it was called originally. The term comes from the flowers that decorated the graves of the dead. Now, I don't think it's particularly fruitful to go through all these various claims. It would like quintuple the size of this podcast, and it's not worth it. But there are a few overarching themes. These multiple first celebrations all happened either during the Civil War or just after. They all involved commemorating the war dead of the Civil War. They happened in the North and in the South. They usually involved decorating the graves of buried soldiers. They started out as an almost compulsory acts of honor spontaneously without the government or military organization or sanction. In fact, the earliest instance my research revealed is very representative. Quote, on the 16th of April, 1862, some ladies and a chaplain from Michigan were chatting together at Arlington National Cemetery. They were talking about the horrors of the war, and one lady said, how lonely and cheerless the bare graves of the soldiers look. Another proposed gathering some flowers and laying them on the graves of the Michigan soldiers that day. They did so, and the next year they decorated the same graves. The third year, the same chaplain and ladies were in Fredericksburg, and they decorated the soldiers' graves there. So the beautiful custom grew and spread its influence with its flowers each year. Unquote. This passage was written in 1896 and recorded in the Teachers Institute. That is nearly 30 years after it happened. And most of the competing claims of the origins of Memorial Day include similar gaps of time. In addition to decorating the graves with flowers, other early commemorations included orations, prayers, and songs. A fascinating example of this happened in the South, and it was organized by recently liberated enslaved persons and regiments of African American Union soldiers. On May 1, 1865, this commemoration took place in Charleston at the Washington Racecourse and Jockey Club. During the Civil War, this club had been converted into a prisoner of war camp, a terrible camp. Many Union soldiers were housed on the open racetrack, and over 260 soldiers died of disease and exposure. The rebels buried the dead in a mass grave behind the grandstands. Charleston was conquered by the Union, and Dave Roos 
writes about what happened in its wake. Quote, when Charleston fell and Confederate troops evacuated the badly damaged city, freed slaves remained. One of the first things those emancipated men and women did was to give the fallen Union prisoners a proper burial. They exhumed the mass grave and reinterred the bodies in a new cemetery with a tall whitewashed fence inscribed with the words, Martyrs of the Race Course. And then on May 1st, 1865, something even more extraordinary happened. A crowd of 10,000 people, mostly freed slaves, with some white missionaries, staged a parade around the racetrack. 3,000 black school children carried bouquets of flowers and sang John Brown's Body. Members of the famed 54th Massachusetts and other black Union regiments were in attendance and performed double-time marches. Black ministers recited verses from the Bible. Unquote. Can you imagine that scene? How touching and wonderful that must have been. What a glorious day. But that was a one-off. Like the Gettysburg Address, it did not become an annual event. Still other glorious decoration days sprang up throughout the nation. Women's groups across the North and the South made it an annual tradition to decorate the graves of Civil War soldiers after the conclusion of the war. A leading example that scholars point to is the Ladies' Memorial Association of Columbus, Georgia. Beginning in April 1866, they established an annual decoration day for the Confederate dead. This happened all across the South, but there was no single unifying day. Nine Southern states still recognize a Confederate Memorial Day, and they are held to mark various anniversaries, such as the day General Stonewall Jackson was killed, Jefferson Davis's birthday, when Jefferson Davis was taken prisoner, and similar Confederacy-related events. Likely prompted by the Southern celebrations, on May 5, 1868, Major General John A. Logan issued an order declaring that Decoration Day would be celebrated across the nation on May 30th, 1868 to commemorate Union soldiers. That would be three years after the end of the Civil War. Why May 30th? Unlike the Southern celebrations, May 30th was not tied to some historically significant date. It was dictated by something much more powerful, Mother Nature. The flowers would be in bloom by then. Now, General Logan was the head of the Grand Army of the Republic, which was a humongous organization of Union veterans. On May 30th, 1868, the first official celebration was held. No, no, actually, that is not accurate at all. Uh, let's take that back. Remember that the Grand Army of the Republic was not a government organization, and there was no government law or resolution recognized in the day. So May 30th, 1868, was the first well-organized, privately encouraged, and uniformly coordinated national commemoration of the Union war dead. Hear all those caveats I had to throw in there? Okay, so what exactly did Logan quote order, unquote? Logan's General Order Number 11 specifically disclaimed any particular ceremony. He did order that the graves be decorated with flowers or otherwise. He also described why it was important to do so. Quote, Cherishing tenderly the memory of our heroic dead, who made their breast a barricade between our country and its foe. Their soldiers' lives were the revelé of freedom to a race in chains, and their death a tattoo of rebellious tyranny in arms. We should guard their graves with sacred vigilance. Let no wanton foot tread rudely on such hallowed grounds. Let pleasant paths invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and found mourners. 
Let no vandalism or avarice of neglect, no ravages of time, testify to the present or to the coming generations that we have forgotten. As a people, the cost of free and undivided republic. Let us then gather around their sacred remains and garland the passionless mounds above them with the choicest flowers of springtime. Let us raise above them the dear old flag they saved from dishonor. Let us in the solemn presence renew our pledges to aid and assist those whom they have left amongst us sacred charges upon the nation's gratitude, the soldiers and the soldier's widow and orphan, unquote. In light of this steering passage, approximately 5,000 people attended a ceremony held at Arlington National Cemetery, which included prayers, the singing of hymns, and the strewing of flowers on 20,000 graves of Union and Confederate soldiers. Former Union General James Garfield, then a congressman from Ohio, and he would be a future president, gave a riveting speech. In part, he reflected that the dead, quote, summed up and perfected by one supreme act, the highest virtues of men and citizens. For love of country, they accepted death and made immortal their patriotism and their virtue. The nation was summoned to arms by every high motive which can inspire men. Two centuries of freedom had made its people unfit for despotism. They must save their government or miserably perish, unquote. Garfield explained that the men who gave their lives in the Civil War we're following the greatest deeds of Western civilization. I love to believe that no heroic sacrifice is ever lost, that the characters of men are molded and inspired by what their fathers have done, that treasured up in American souls are all the unconscious influences of great deeds, from Agincourt to Bunker Hill. Could these men be silent in 1861, these whose ancestors have felt the inspiration of battle on every field where civilization has fought in the last thousand years? Read their answer in this green turf. Each for himself gathered up the cherished purposes of life, its aims and ambitions, its dearest affections, and flung all with life itself into the scale of battle. Unquote. Unlike Pericles and Lincoln before him, he called on the living to remember the sacrifice of men for liberty and freedom. Logan's bid to create a national coordinated decoration day was highly successful. This is hardly a surprise. Logan was highly accomplished in politics and in the military. On the civilian side, he was a successful attorney, county clerk, member of the Illinois State House, prosecuting attorney, and congressman. Although he was a Democrat and Southern sympathizer, when the Civil War broke out, he concluded that, quote, the Union must prevail, unquote. He volunteered as a civilian at the Battle of Bull Run, helping a Michigan regiment. He returned to civilian life briefly and assisted in stopping secession efforts in southern Illinois. He then rejoined the Army officially and proved his valor in the battles of Belmont, where his horse was killed, and Fort Donelson, where he was wounded. He then resigned from Congress and joined the military full-time. He worked his way up to Major General and at one point commanded the Army of Tennessee. After the war, he won back a seat in Congress as a Republican and played a vital role in President Johnson's impeachment as a House manager for the prosecution. He then won election to the U.S. Senate and ran for vice president in a losing campaign with James G. Blaine. While in office, he took command of the Grand Army of the Republic. When he passed away, he was laid in state in the U.S. Capitol. That has only happened 33 times. 
if you have visited Washington, D.C., you may have come across Logan Circle and the surrounding neighborhood. They are named after him. There is also a Chicago neighborhood named after him, too. Back to Memorial Day. That first decoration day ordered by Logan was celebrated in 27 states. Michigan led the nation by making it an official state holiday in 1871. That year was quite auspicious. In addition to the first state holiday, that year Frederick Douglass delivered the oration at the Arlington National Cemetery at the tomb of the unknown loyal dead. President Grant and his cabinet were in attendance. Quite frankly, Frederick Douglass may be the most impressive American to have ever lived, but that is for another day. This former runaway slave reflected on those who gave their lives so that men like him across the nation could be free. He observed, quote, There is, in the very air of thirsting ground of the unknown dead, a silent, subtle, and all-pervading eloquence, far more touching, impressive, and thrilling than living lips have ever uttered. Into the measureless depths of every loyal soil, it is now whispering lessons of all that is precious, priceless, holiest, and most enduring in human existence. Dark and sad will be the hour to this nation when it forgets to pay grateful homage to its greatest benefactors. The offering we bring today is due alike to the patriot soldiers dead and the noble comrades who still live. For whether living or dead, whether in time or eternity, the loyal soldiers who imperiled awe for country and freedom are one and inseparable. Those unknown heroes whose whitened bones have been piously gathered here and whose green graves we now strew with sweet and beautiful flowers, choice emblems alike of pure hearts and brave spirits, reached in their glorious career that last highest point of nobleness beyond which human power cannot go. They died for their country. Unquote. But he wasn't done pulling the heartstrings. He continued, quote, if we ought to forget a war which has filled our land with widows and orphans, which made stumps of men of the very flower of their youth, which has sent them on the journey of life armless, legless, maimed, and mutilated, which has piled up a debt heavier than a mountain of God, swept uncounted thousands of men into bloody graves, and planted agony at a million hearthstones. I say, if the war is to be forgotten, I ask, in the name of all things sacred, what shall men remember? Unquote. Furthermore, he reminded us that sacrifice alone does not deserve praise per se. Praise should be earned only if it is done on behalf of justice and freedom. Quote, but we are not here to applaud manly courage, save as it has been displayed in a noble cause. We must never forget that the victory to the rebellion meant death to the Republic. We must never forget that the loyal soldiers who rest beneath this sod flung themselves between the nation and the nation's destroyers. If today we have a country not boiling in an agony of blood, like France, if now we have a united country no longer cursed by the hell-black system of human bondage, if the American name is no longer a byword and a hissing to mocking earth. If the star-spangled banner floats over free American citizens in every quarter of the land, and our country has before it a long and glorious career of justice, liberty, 
and civilization. We are indebted to the unselfish devotion of the noble army who rest in these honored graves all around us. Unquote. Oliver Wendell Holmes, a Civil War veteran and brilliant Supreme Court justice, echoed these themes in an electrifying way at a Memorial Day function held by the graduating class of Harvard. He began by explaining the self-evident truth that we should pay tribute to the personal valor of men who died for liberty. He reflected that danger gave life a deeper meaning and sharpened the character of men. And then he telescoped to one man with whom he had served. Quote, Three years ago died the old colonel of my regiment, the 20th Massachusetts. He gave the regiment its soul. No man could falter who heard his forward 20th. I went to his funeral. From a side door of the church, a body of little choir boys came in alike, a flight of careless doves. At the same time, the doors opened at the front, and up the main aisle advanced his coffin, followed by the few gray heads who stood for the men of the 20th, the rank and file whom he had loved and whom he had led for the last time. The church was empty. No one remembered the old man whom we were burying. No one saved those next to him and us. And I said to myself, the 20th has shrunk to a skeleton, a ghost, a memory, a forgotten name which we other old men alone keep in our hearts. And then I thought, it is right. It is as the colonel would have it. This also was part of the soldier's faith, having known great things to be content with silence. Just then there fell into my hands a little song sung by a warlike people of the Danube, which seemed to me fit for a soldier's last word. Another song of the sword, but a song of the sword in its scabbard, a song of oblivion and peace. A soldier has been buried on the battlefield. Unquote. Then Holmes quoted a poem to end his speech. Quote, and when the wind in the treetops roared, the soldier asked from the deep, dark grave, Did the banner flutter then? Not so, my hero, the wind replied. The fight is done, but the banner won. The comrades of old have borne it hence, have borne it in triumph hence. Then the soldier spake from the deep, dark grave, I am content. Then he heareth the lovers laughing pass, and the soldier asked once more, Are these not the voices of them that love, that love and remember me? Not so, my hero, the lovers say. We are those that remember not, for the spring has come, and the earth has smiled, and the dead must be forgot. Then the soldier spake from the deep, dark grave, I am content. Unquote. I don't know about you, but it gives me shivers and brings tears to my eyes. Let me just take a moment and reflect on the majesty of the speeches that we have heard today. Hercules, Lincoln, Logan, Garfield, Douglas, and Holmes, any of whom is more sublime than any major character on the world stage today. And they all address the importance of remembering the sacrifices of the past and to keep the spirit of liberty alive in our own hearts. And their speeches mattered. In 1888, Congress recognized Decoration Day as a holiday in Washington, D.C., to give the workers there a payday off. But that only applied to Washington, D.C. By 1890, Decoration Day was recognized by all northern states. And how could they not? The words of Garfield and Douglas stirred the heart, enlivened the mind, 
and shook the very bones. During World War I, Decoration Day was expanded to all war dead in the nation's history. The tradition of wearing a red poppy, which has substantially decreased in recent years, but is still a key gesture in many official ceremonies, arose out of World War I. That tradition was rooted in a poem by John McRae, a Canadian lieutenant colonel who witnessed little red poppies sprouting in the war-torn landscape of Flanders in northern Belgium. He was a surgeon who once spent 17 days straight tending to the injured in a brutal battle. Inspired by the death of a close friend, he wrote the poem entitled, We Shall Not Sleep, but better known today as In Flanders Fields. Unfortunately, McRae died of pneumonia in 1918 while working in a hospital in France during the war. His heartfelt poem is as follows, quote, In Flanders fields the poppies blow, between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the lark still bravely, singing fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, to you from failing hands we throw, the torch be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Unquote. Monia Michael, a young teacher from Georgia on November 9, 1918, just two days before the armistice ending of World War I took effect, read the poem in the Ladies' Home Journal. She wrote in her autobiography that she had read it many times before, but that time it was a spiritual experience and the last line seemed to speak to her directly. She wrote, quote, It seemed as though the silent voices again were vocal, whispering in sighs of anxiety, into anguish. To you, from failing hands we throw the torch, be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders' fields, unquote. She silently pledged right then and there, to keep the faith by always wearing a red poppy is a sign of remembrance. That very day, she convinced a set of men to start wearing red poppies. In pursuit of this quest, she wrote her own poem, We Shall Keep the Faith. The red poppy has adorned those commemorating both Armistice Day, now Veterans Day, and Memorial Day. Unfortunately, the Great War, which is how many referred to the brutal conflict from 1914 to 1918, was not, despite the billing, the war to end all wars. The wars keep coming. As such, the lexicon of Memorial Day eventually superseded the use of Decoration Day, with Memorial Day becoming the dominant phrase by World War II. In 1968, Congress passed the Uniform Monday Holiday Act, which officially recognized Memorial Day as a national holiday. The act also moved when it was celebrated. The fixed date of May 30th was, effective in 1971, changed to the fourth Monday of May. Why? to create a permanent three-day weekend to aid tourism, travel, and sales, but of course. With time, the form of commemoration has changed. Although the use of poppies has already faded, it received a temporary boost in 1918 as the centennial anniversary of the end of World War I. And other traditions have stayed strong. Many Americans still fly the flag. Technically, it should be hung at half-staff until noon, at which time it should be raised to full staff. Another tradition is the laying of a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknowns in Arlington National Cemetery. 
Some of the finest moments of remembrance have occurred during this commemoration, and we've reviewed some of those already. Another outstanding example is President Ronald Reagan's speech in 1982 at the height of the Cold War. President Reagan, take it away. I have new illusions about what little I can add now to the silent testimony of those who gave their lives willingly for their country. Words are even more feeble on this Memorial Day, for the sight before us is that of a strong and good nation that stands in silence and remembers those who were loved and who in return loved their countrymen enough to die for them. Yet we must try to honor them, not for their sakes alone, but for our own. And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions, we must strive to keep faith with them and with a vision that led them to battle and a final sacrifice. Our first obligation to them and ourselves is plain enough. The United States and the freedom for which it stands, the freedom for which they died, must endure and prosper. Their lives remind us Their lives remind us that freedom is not bought cheaply. It has a cost. It imposes a burden. And just as they whom we commemorate were willing to sacrifice, so too must we, in a less final, less heroic way, be willing to give of ourselves. It is this, beyond the controversy and the congressional de debate, beyond the blizzard of budget numbers and the complexity of modern weapons systems, that motivates us in our search for security and peace. President Reagan's eloquence will hopefully continue to inspire us today. 20 years ago, a new tradition was added. In 2000, Congress passed the National Moment of Remembrance Act. It encourages all Americans to pause at 3 o'clock p.m. local time for a one-minute moment of silence. Congress created a White House commission to go along with the National Moment of Remembrance. Its charter is to, quote, encourage the people of the United States to give something back to their country, which provides them so much freedom and opportunity, unquote, by creating Memorial Day commemorations across the country. Carmela Laspada, the brainchild of this moment, explained that, quote, it's a way we can all help put the memorial back in Memorial Day, unquote. A fact sheet explaining the moment in President Bill Clinton's White House archives explained that its purpose is, quote, to demonstrate gratitude to those who died for our freedom, to remind all Americans of the importance of remembering those who sacrificed their lives for our freedom, to provide U.S. citizens in America and throughout the world the opportunity to join in this symbolic act of unity, to make Memorial Day relevant, especially to younger Americans, unquote. The fact sheet relates its origins, which is a bit like Patriot Week. Quote, in May 1996, the idea of the moment was born when children touring Lafayette Park in Washington, D.C. were asked what Memorial Day meant, and they responded, that's the day the pools open. May 1997 saw the start of what is becoming an American tradition recognized by the President and members of Congress to put the memorial back on Memorial Day. It was instituted by No Greater Love, a Washington, D.C.-based national humanitarian organization. For the first time in U.S. history, on Memorial Day, 1997, TAPS was played at 3 p.m. in many locations and events throughout the America. This simple, dignified form of remembrance introduces a solemn annual moment into our citizens' lives. 3 p.m. was chosen 
because it is a time of day then most Americans are likely making the most of the freedoms we enjoy. Unquote. The moment of remembrance, the odd parade, a few ceremonies, and the wreath laying at the Tomb of the Unknowns at Arlington National Cemetery, which are all fabulous, continue. But let's be realistic. Most take no special care to mark Memorial Day. It has become an empty excuse for three-day weekends, barbecues, the time to wear white, to open up the pools, take a short trip, watch the Indianapolis 500, and of course, take advantage of plenty of sales on appliances, cars, hardware, and other goodies. Actually, the demise of Memorial Day and the other traditional civic celebrations is exactly why Patriot Week was created, to renew the spirit of America by creating a new civic celebration. But of course, we are hopeful that Memorial Day will hold its own. We have not lost all hope. We must be worthy of our heroes. Commemorate this Memorial Day and all future Memorial Days as the solemn and grateful occasion that it deserves. This is being recorded during the pandemic, so do what you can on Memorial Day to remember and staying safe. A simple way to do this is to just spread the message, maybe even this podcast, to help ground our fellow citizens in what Memorial Day is all about. Some key takeaways from this episode. Memorial Day started as a tribute to fallen Union soldiers in the Civil War. It started through many local efforts and became a national uniform celebration with the leadership of General Logan of the Grand Army of the Republic. Over time, Memorial Day was the setting for brilliant speeches and commemorations and changed to include all war dead during World War I. More recently, a one-minute silent moment of remembrance has been added to Memorial Day, which occurs at 3 p.m. local time. We commemorate the brave sacrifices of fallen soldiers because they gave their last full measure of devotion for our country and liberty. The future of our country and freedom rests with us to carry on their supreme sacrifices, and the failure to remember that could lead to our doom. Fellow patriots, join us at Patriot Week in commemorating Memorial Day this year and all years. Please join us next time when we continue our exploration of the Declaration of Independence, when we examine the meaning of the unalienable right of liberty. Until then, God bless you and God bless America. Thank you, Patriots, for listening to Patriot Lessons. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate us. That is, if you're going to give us those five golden stars, we can be found on Apple Podcasts and many other platforms. You can also learn more by visiting PatriotWeek.org. Patriot Week is celebrated every year from September 11th, the anniversary of the terrorist attacks, through September 17th, the anniversary of the signing of the Constitution. Patriot Week was started by my then 10-year-old daughter when she pounded on the table and demanded a new celebration for America. You can follow us on Twitter at Patriot Week, on Facebook on our Patriot Week Foundation page, and on Instagram at Patriot Week 1776. If you are interested in becoming involved in this grassroots effort or have any questions or comments, please send us a message on one of those social media platforms I mentioned or connect with me directly at M as in Michael Warren, W-A-R-R-E-N, at PatriotWeek.org. Also consider my book, America's Survival Guide, How to Stop America's Impending Suicide by Reclaiming Our First Principles in History by visiting americassurvivalguide.com, Amazon, or any other online retailer. Until next time, God bless you and God bless America.